God, we love you, and we give you thanks and praise for who you are and for all that you do. God, we are excited to once again dive into your word this morning and talk about what we believe, why we believe it, and why it's important. God, I just pray that you would speak through me this morning. Would the words that come out of my mouth be your words and not mine? Would they be your words for your people on your day? God, we are here for you, for no other reason than to meet with you. God, no one came this morning to hear what Pastor Chris said. No one came this morning to sing songs. We all came to meet with you and to be with you. God, this is, this is our purpose. So God, would you bless this time? Open hearts, open minds. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We are in week six now uh, of our More Than a Feeling uh, series in which we are kind of tackling this issue of uh, what we believe, why we believe it, and why it's important. In a culture where uh, beliefs and truth is based on feeling uh, and uh, just kind of changes day, day to day sometimes, what we believe is true, uh, because truth is relative in our culture. But truth is, is not relative when we come to Scripture. Truth is not relative when we come to our faith. Our faith is not based on someone's opinion. Our faith is not based on, on, on a feeling. Our faith is based on truth, the truth that we find in this book, which as we talked about a few weeks ago, is the Word of God revealed to us, revealing everything we need to know about our faith and about God. This is, this is what we believe, why we believe it, why it's important. So far we've talked about God. We've talked about Jesus. We've talked about the Holy Spirit. I, talked, I said, just said a couple minutes ago, we talked about the Bible. We've talked last week about what the Bible says about you and I, uh, and not just uh, humanity in general, but what it says about you and I as followers, as people who have said yes to Jesus. What does the Bible say about us? And today uh, we're going to kind of just... Keep, keep moving along here and talk about really the, the where in all of this. Right, where? Where is the place that God has ordained for us as believers or for even non-believers to come and to be together? This morning we're going to talk about what Scripture says and what we believe about the church. Why it's important. How it is God ordained. I had this quote running through my mind this week. Uh, and I, I googled it, I couldn't find it, I can't find who I heard this from, uh, but just know when I say this, is not original material, this is, this is something that I've heard before, and probably even that I've used before here, so if you have sermon notes, I'll talk to Katie Sherman afterwards, she's got all the notes on her iPad, she always gives me a hard time, so uh, here's, here's this quote that's been running through my mind all week, the greatest seed in the greatest soil cannot grow if it's in the wrong environment. The greatest seed and the greatest soil cannot grow if it's in the wrong environment. If you are taking notes, you can just kind of write down Luke chapter 8 and Mark chapter 4. There's a parable in there Jesus tells about uh, a sower who goes and he, he sows his seed. And his seed finds a uh, kind of resting place on different kinds of soils. One uh, finds its resting place on a path. And uh, when the seed that's on the path, a bird comes and picks it up and, and it's eaten obviously right one one seed goes onto the rocks and in the rocks there's there's not any depth for the roots so when it grows up it grows up and the sun hits and it withers and it dies because there's no no deep roots there's some seed that gets caught in the thorns and the thorns choke out the plant and the plant is dead and then there's other seeds that land on the good soil and on the good soil the the seed produces a crop 30 60 100 times in this parable 
Uh, we won't go into that parable this morning. I just, I just want to use this because the, the sower in this parable is Jesus. The seed in this parable is the Word of God. And the soil that we talk about in this parable are, are our hearts, human hearts. And I want to just say this again. The greatest seed in the greatest soil cannot grow if it's in the wrong environment. No matter how hard you try, as an individual, you cannot do this on your own. God has ordained a place for believers to come and to grow and to be together. It is called the church. From the very early stages of humanity, God realized that we cannot do this on our own, that we should not do this on our own. In fact, Genesis 2.18, after God creates man, after God creates Adam, he said, it is not good for man to be alone. I think this, is, this kind of is a continuing trend all throughout Scripture, that God does not wish for people to do this on their own. He's not asking you and me to, to live out our faith on our own. He gave us a place where we could come, where we could be together, where we could do life together. We call it the church. We call it the church. So what, what is it that we believe about the church? What is it we believe about this perfectly designed ecosystem by God, this environment where the greatest seed and the greatest soil can grow to its full potential? I mean, all throughout Scripture, we read about, about this community of people that God has called to be together. God knew what he was doing, but we have these questions that people ask us. Why do I need to be a part of a church? I read my Bible every day. I pray. What's the point? What is the church, and this is usually the question in our culture, what does the church have to offer me? Why do I need the church? And the church, if you read scripture, this community of believers is so essential to us that I think if you, if you read scripture, you wouldn't have that question. You wouldn't have the question, why should I go to church? You would ask this question instead. Why would anyone try to do this outside of the church? The things that we're asked by God to do are meant to be done in community. I mean, in fact, Scripture, I think, Scripture commands us to be in a community like this. All throughout Scripture, you have these phrases, these one another phrases. In fact, there's one in John chapter 13. If you want to turn there with me, John chapter 13. Uh, I'm sorry, I don't have the page number for you today. John chapter 13, verse 34 says this. <coughs> a new command I give you, love one another. Love one another. This is a theme in Scripture, all these one another. In fact, there's, there are 59 one another passages. There's actually over 100 one another passages in Scripture. 59 of those are really kind of commands to us as believers to be with one another. Right? And this John chapter 13, love one another. Galatians chapter 6 says, bear one another's burdens. James chapter 5, confess your sins to one another. Romans 12, honor one another. 1 Corinthians 12, care for one another. You see, forgive one another, comfort one another, encourage one another, pray for one another. We need each other. We need a community of believers that we can come and we can grow, we can bounce ideas off of, we can just be together. This is the way that God has ordained things. This is how Scripture tells us 
to live. Like I said, 59 times just in the New Testament, we have these one another commands to be with one another, to do things with one another. Uh, a, a few years ago, we went through the book Multiply as a church, and we, were, we, read, this, we read this book by Francis Chan went through it all. We, I think we spent like six or eight months going through this book, Multiply. And here's, I, I want to just read just a, a piece. If you still have this book, you can go home and read chapter four this week. Chapter four is all about the church. Uh, but here's what he says on page 51. While every individual needs to obey Jesus' call to follow, we cannot follow Jesus as individuals. The proper context for every disciple maker is the church. It is impossible to make disciples aside from the church of Jesus Christ. Look at it from this perspective. The New Testament is full of commands to do this or that for one another. Love one another, pray for one another, encourage one another, etc. So how can we teach people to observe all that I have commanded if they have no one to love or pray for or encourage? It is impossible to one another yourself. I'm going to read that again. It is impossible to one another yourself. It's impossible to follow Jesus alone. We can't claim to follow Jesus if we neglect the church he created, the church he died for, the church he entrusted his mission to. That, I think, is just a powerful statement of what the church is all about. We, Scripture commands us to be a part of of a community, to be a part of a church. I think it's so, so countercultural, though, in our day, right? Our day of self. And we have all these words that are, that are good things. You put on your resume that you are a self-starter. Right? We have uh, all these, you know, we're self-sufficient, self-reliant. We read all kinds of self-help books. There's self-serve things. Self is, a, is kind of a it's a positive thing in our culture, right? We, we like to think about ourselves. We're an individual kind of culture. But Jesus calls us to be a part of a group where, where we are not number one. Where it's not about ourselves, but it's about the community. It's about everyone together. It's about more than just you, more than just me. God has given us a place where we can be together. So scripture, I hope, I hope you hope you get this. Scripture makes it clear to us that we need to be a part of a community. The, the church is not just something that we do on the weekends just because we enjoy it. The church is something that we do because God has ordained it, God has blessed it, and God has called us to be a part of a community of believers. Scripture commands us to be a part of a church. Scripture, uh, even, even if you just look at the life of Jesus, I think the life of Jesus is an example of his expectation that we would be with a body of believers. Right? In his ministry and in the church that he left for us, the church that he ordained afterwards, right? Even in his ministry. If you turn with me to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3, Jesus is beginning his ministry here. He's appointing the 12 disciples. And here's, here's what it says. Mark chapter 3, starting at verse 13. Again, I apologize. I forgot to write down all the page numbers in our pew Bibles. Mark chapter 3. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called, them to those, called to him those he wanted and they came to him. He appointed twelve that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and have the authority to drive out demons. I want you to just get this first line here. He called the twelve disciples, and this, this first part I think is first for a reason. That they might first be with him and then that he might send them out. 
that, he, that they might be with him. That Jesus, I, I mean, think about just the way Jesus did ministry. The way Jesus did ministry was so relational. Jesus invested in these 12 disciples. We talked a little bit about it last week as we talked about the disciples. Jesus' whole ministry model was about being with each other. Even as Jesus sent them out, he sent them out not alone, but in pairs. Jesus is sending out his disciples to go and do ministry, and he sends them out two by two. He sends them out not as individuals, but as, as a group. And then you look at the church that Jesus kind of ordained at the end and encourages believers. In the book of Acts chapter 2. We read this passage about the early church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together. They had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Why don't you just look at just the, the model of this early church here? As we talked in at the beginning of the year in our Rooted series, this is, this is our church, Connect, Grow, Serve. This church was about being together. They were connecting. They were with each other. They were in each other's homes. They were eating around each other's tables. They, they, they shared together. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. It said they were together. They were connected. But they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were growing. They weren't just satisfied with, uh, we have just been with Jesus, let's just go share all of this. No, they, the apostles were still teaching. They were still wanting to grow. They were still wanting to do that. But they did that in community. They didn't do that individually. And then they served. They, they gave as people had need. This is, this is their community. The early church was a community of believers. No, one, no believer tried to do this on their own. They did it together. They were with each other. They were invested in each other. They cared about each other. They encouraged one another. They prayed for each other. They ate together. They, they were just together. They were a community. Right, and this isn't just the model that our church goes after. This is this is the model of the church, even the historical church. I mean, you read about the Moravians. You read about the, the, the beginnings of the Wesleyan denomination. You bring up all this. John Wesley was all about community. You know, John Wesley was actually all about small groups. He wanted people to be together. And he wanted people to ask very specific questions when they were together. But he was about, he was about community. He was about being together and holding each other accountable. That no one would have to do this alone. You don't have to live out your faith alone. This is encouraging to me. I don't know about to you. It's hard on your own. It's, it's kind of impossible on your own. We don't have to do that. God gave us a place where we could come and we could be together. We could learn from each other. We can encourage 
one another. And it doesn't just happen here on the weekends, every Sunday, as we are gathered together to hear the word, to worship together. It happens in small groups during the week. It happens as you call someone in the church and say, hey, can we get coffee this week? Can we, can we go to lunch this week? Can we get to just talk this week and get to know each other a little better? You can hold each other accountable. You can meet together. You can be together. You are called to be together. This is what the church is all about. Someone asks you, what do I need the church for? Why in the world do I need to be a part of a church? I read the Bible, I pray, what do I need the church for? I just think, I, I couldn't do it without the church. I couldn't do it without a community of believers who are with me, who teach me who I bounce ideas off of, who keep me accountable, who pray for me, who rejoice with me as I rejoice and they mourn as I mourn. This is all scriptural. This is what the church is about. This is the church that Jesus gave us. So if this is all true about the church, this is what we believe about the church How do you and I play a part in this community that Jesus has ordained us? Jesus has given us each other. What what part do I play in all of this? Well, first of all, we can encourage one another. We can encourage one another. All right, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 says this in verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. Right here, the author is writing to a church, and he's encouraging them. He's encouraging them to encourage each other. Right, but he's he's saying you are already doing this, but continue to encourage each other. Continue to encourage each other. Right. The, this this could have been from Galatians six two or Philippians two four or even Ecclesiastes four nine through twelve. Encourage one another. Be together. Be an encourager when you come. Be an encourager. Encourage one another. Here's another one we can do. How do you play your part? You can encourage one another. You can also be, be consistent. Not just in attendance. That, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about just in the way that we treat people. All right, Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend loves at all times. Whenever, whoever, whatever, why ever. No matter what's going on in someone's life, we love them. This is what it means to be, be a part of this community, that we're, we're consistent with each other. We consistently love each other, no matter what. We consistently encourage each other, and we're authentic. If you've been here over the last five years, you know this word is kind of an important word to me. We need to be an authentic community, where, where we are real with each other. Where we don't come in, and, and you've heard this before too, we don't come in and, hey, how are you doing? I'm good. No, you're not. I know what's been going on in your life this week. I didn't ask you so you could tell me good. I asked you so we could, we could talk about this. Do you need an ear to talk about what's going on in your life? All right, I've made mention a few times of don't, don't ask someone how they're doing if you're not willing to sit down and listen. 
Right? Be authentic. Be real with each other. Jesus was real. Jesus, even, even at the end there, was like, my soul is grieving even to the point of death. Like, he, he is real and authentic with his believers. Not trying to hold anything in. He's not trying to put on a perfect persona. He's not trying to put on a mask or a facade. He is real with his disciples. We need to be a community that is real with each other. I actually think we do a pretty good job at this here at the church. But I want to just encourage us. Be real. Encourage one another. No more masks. No more facades. No more I'm goods. <laughs> Be real. Here's, here's really the, the kind of the, the bottom line for today, if you want to call it that. Community is going to happen when commitment happens. This community that God has given us called the church is a wonderful community. This community that God has given, we call it the church, is an essential community for you and for me. This community will mean not much if we're not committed to it. And again, this is just a word of encouragement. I think we are. I think our church is doing really well at just being committed to the church and being committed to each other. But I want to encourage us. There's always room to grow. None of us have arrived. None of us are there. But this is what it means to be the church. You read scripture and you begin to understand the importance of this community that God has given us. The greatest seed and the greatest soil cannot grow if it's not in the right environment. The greatest seed, the gospel, and the greatest soil, your heart. Where's the right environment? It is right here with each other. And get, when I say church, I'm not talking about a building that we come to on the weekends. You and I are the church. We are the community that God has given us. <laughs> the greatest seed and the greatest soil cannot grow if it's in the wrong environment. Commit to this environment. Commit to this community. God has given us a community of believers for a purpose. We can do it together. This is what the church is all about. Let's pray. God, we love you. We give you thanks and praise, God, for who you are for all you do. God, this community that you have given us, that you have blessed, we call it the church. God, but we, this week, just begin to reflect on the importance that this community has had in our lives. Maybe not this particular community. A lot of us come from other places, but God, it just the, the community, the, how the importance that the church has had on our lives. 
we begin to reflect on that? Would we just give you thanks this week that you have given us a place to grow? You've given us a place to worship. You've given us a place to come and belong. God, we're grateful for it. This week as we go and we reflect on this, would you just begin to remind us of even just specific instances in which the church has been a blessing to us? And would we share those, those insights? Would we share those, those, uh, those memories with each other and just encourage us that this church is, is God-given. This church is necessary. This church is essential to our faith. Now be with us as we go, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? And as you do, just uh, if you're new here, just hold out your hands and just receive a, a blessing. I just want to pray a blessing over you before you go. May our God, our God who loves you, with a love that is greater than anything you will ever know. May he go with you and ahead of you this week. May he be in your homes, and your workplaces. May he remind you this week of who you are in him. And may he remind you this week of this community that he has given you to be a part of. May you go out and in the power of the Spirit make a difference wherever you may find yourselves. Go in the grace and peace of our loving God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for coming this morning.